Hello, welcome to my podcast, A Parallel, The Chinese Culture Revolution and the French Revolution. This is the 14th and last episode of this series, Ideologues. In the last episode, I finished both revolutions. In this episode, I want to discuss these two events in the same parallel format I used throughout. I want to give a definition of ideologue first, so we all understand my direction. From the online version of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, It defines ideologue as follows. An often blindly partisan advocate or adherent of a particular ideology or an impractical idealist. In both the French and Chinese cultural revolutions, we see ideologues that were either initiating the movements or running them or influencing them. Sometimes they were doing all three. Perhaps it is merely coincidental that we see ideologues, or perhaps ideologues will always be a part of the histories. Maybe even as much as ideologues were useful in some respects to the revolutions, could it also be possible that the blindly partisan or impractical idealism associated with the ideologues dooms the revolutions to failure. I cannot say that for sure, but keep that in mind as we review these two events. The obvious ideologues in the French movement were Maximilien Robespierre and Georges Jacques Danton, the Jacobins, and there were many others. There were ideologues among the monarchists and the loyalists, too. The early stages of the French Revolution were controlled by the ideologues. Their ideas were what fueled the citizens' involvement and fervor. In the end, many of the changes that occurred during the French French Revolution did not reflect the heady ideals of the ideologues and the changes they initially sought. Most citizens were negatively impacted by the French Revolution and just wished for it to stop. Many had hoped the French Revolution would bring about much-needed and long-awaited reductions or removal of state restrictions and interference. Clearly, the opposite was the result. France ended with a state far more coercive and interfering than before. But it can be argued there were also some good results. For sure, there were changes to the civil code and there was sensible criminal justice reform. 
Certain classes of persons benefited by the French Revolution, such as soldiers, landowners, bureaucrats. Slavery was abolished. The decimal and metric system were introduced in 1795. The feudal system was abolished. The monarchy was destroyed in favor of a public representative form of government. Also, many people, because of their social status and faith, had new opportunities. France showed the world the power of the people. But before I get carried away with all the good things and the good results, I have to mention the bad results, of which there were many. Aside from the general ones I've talked about at the beginning of this episode, just a few minutes ago or a few moments ago, the loss of lives and the lives destroyed and the physical destruction are all probably enough to outweigh any real or perceived benefits from the revolution. The professions had been destroyed. Medicine and law are good examples. These professions, at the initial and early phase of the revolution, were considered to be part of the aristocracy and the elites, so they were destroyed. But their destruction opened the door for charlatans and scoundrels to replace them. Anyone without training or scruples or education could then practice those learned professions. Ironically, not until Napoleon Bonaparte took over were those professions restored by reinstituting professional standards. Destroying the church and prosecuting the European war wreaked catastrophic damage to the economy. These events, war, the church's destruction, and the poor economy fueled the events that followed. The events certainly fueled the counter-revolutions and insurrections in France, Paris, Lyons, and the Vendée region. Counter-revolutions caused the authorities to implement even more and worse restrictions and repressions. Don't forget the revolution swept away European states and permanently changed geopolitics. City-states and republics were permanently abolished. Examples were Geneva, Genoa, and Venice. After being tossed about, Belgium, as a result of the French victory over Austria, would eventually win their independence. Luxembourg became an independent state The obvious ideologue, and perhaps the only one that really mattered in the Chinese Culture Revolution, was Mao Zedong. While there were others, they all pale in their importance to what drove the movement and caused the most significant, lasting legacy. Mao's influence was, and is, undeniable an ideologue in every sense of the meaning of the word, but also so much more as we learned throughout this podcast. For me, I have nothing positive to say about the culture revolution. This is despite some that have tried. 
they certainly are entitled to their opinion. In my view, the Cultural Revolution was a disaster at every level or angle you choose to look at it. It set China back economically at least a generation, if not more. It wrecked Chinese culture, families, education, values, and economic and technological progress. For every positive or benefit, you might argue, that was occasioned by the Cultural Revolution was equally matched with a negative. Probably weighted more toward the latter. For instance, it has been argued that in the early days of the Cultural Revolution, students benefited from the encouragement to travel China and their exposure that they received to other peoples in their regions that they traveled. True as that may be, however, the reality was much different. The students were unwanted in those regions and only competed with the locals for already scarce resources. Not to mention the physical danger and harm many of the students experienced. In my opinion, this does not foster an environment conducive for anyone's benefit or education of anything worthwhile. Another instance it has been suggested that the Cultural Revolution exposed the CCP leaders and that their movement was a fraud, and they were frauds, and that in turn awakened the masses to their trouble. To that, I respond, that most Chinese then thought of Mao Zedong as an emperor. There were never any illusions among any Chinese that Mao and his movement were or were not anything different than what the Chinese had lived through for thousands of years before. Chairman Mao may have had good ideas or intentions, I cannot know which or neither, but the fact the history tells us is that he used any division among his cadre, or if none existed, created the division to constantly stir the pot, as it were, Divide and conquer, I guess. It is obvious to me. He put control and power front and center above all else. Just like countless Chinese emperors had done, I really believe it is that simple. Mao was paranoid, self-centered, and vicious. It is pretty clear he was willing to do whatever was necessary to gain and hold power. The goal of destroying the Four Olds the old habits, the old customs, the old culture, and the old ideas may seem a necessary and logical step toward the goal of a communist utopia, but was that ever realistic or plausible? I mean, you have to ask that question. I'm not aware of empirical evidence that destroying the four olds would achieve the communist goal, let alone the argument that even if the answer was yes, can it be done without enormous loss, sacrifice, and practicality. Seems to me an awful lot of destruction for what? The communist utopia Mao strived for never existed and never happened in China. Today's China is not communist, except by name only. It's no more communist than Europe. After the Cultural Revolution, China was left devastated. Today, the once phileo-centered society that once prevailed in China is gone. Today's China is all about consumerism, mercantilism, and money, 
at all costs. I don't say this to pejoratively about the wonderful Chinese people or to necessarily single them out. Certainly, other nations display these same characteristics as well. Before the French Revolution, the country was deeply polarized over the monarchy. Many supported the monarchy before the revolution and during it and after. Indeed, toward the end of the French Revolution, there was an earnest desire by many French to return to a monarchy. But the problem was, there were too many in each camp that were pro-monarchy and anti-monarchy. This was a division too wide to bridge. Undoubtedly, destroying the church was a big mistake, as it made many people recoil and it led to many insurrections. Also keep in mind, through most of the revolution, France was at war, and that did more permanent economic damage than probably anything else. The early revolutionaries may have been visionaries, but they were also ideologues strongly and perhaps naively believing their cause and ideas were for the best. But the problem with that was they failed to realize or account that not everyone believed the same. It was naive or impractical to think the change they wanted would come without a fight. It was the resistance to change that made the revolution violent. Even after many years of bloodshed and violence, the ideologues could not accept the legitimacy and good faith of their adversaries. Ironically, it was Napoleon Bonaparte that finally showed that both sides had to bury the hatchet and drop their differences if the nation was to survive and function. Public support for the Third Estate and the National Assembly was largely predicated on the goal that they would restore liberty and freedom and resolve the food shortage problems and get prices under control. When that failed, many people became disillusioned expectantly. Another problem for the French leaders is they should have anticipated the destruction of the feudal system that they coordinated would lead to chaos and disorder, and they should have planned appropriately. It only took maybe three years into the revolution, by 1792, that the revolution's main message veered off course and was hopelessly lost. One of the big ironies the Cultural Revolution in China produced was it eventually caused a society and culture that Mao would have avoided. That society rejected the collectivism that Mao envisioned. The human casualties from the Cultural Revolution are estimated at 2 million, at least conservatively. Most of those have been blamed on the CCP's foolish policies and not on the Red Guards, as some have opined. What is a real shame is that China, before the Cultural Revolution, was beginning to emerge into a modern nation. 
CCP leaders Liu Shaoqi and Deng Xiaoping, if you will remember, tried to implement changes that caused China to advance forward. There is evidence that these changes were working. But we know now that those efforts got in the way of Chairman Mao's goals, and so they were discarded. It is not my hunch that the Culture Revolution retarded China's progress. It was a fact. On another issue, it is difficult for me to see how sending 13 or 14-year-old boys into the countryside, away from their families, and expect them to earn a living and care for themselves was going to amount to anything good. Almost an entire generation of young Chinese missed a decade of formal schooling. I don't know how that gap can ever be filled. During the French Revolution, the word equality was thrown around a lot. I suppose it was good a nation would discuss that and at least support the concept. And France did impose measures to level the playing field. But it bears thinking about the realities of equality. France never accounted for the differences between equality of opportunity from the equality of property and fortune. In that regard, the revolutionaries failed to match their rhetoric with reality. In final summation, the French Revolution made it clear she needed to modernize everything. It is an oversimplification to conclude that the French Revolution proved that radical attempts or efforts to change a political or societal system are doomed to fail. It is also an oversimplification to conclude that a dictator was an inevitable outcome to a revolution such as the French Revolution. But, but, neither one of these conclusions should be dismissed. The French Revolution was and is a cautionary tale. In my view, a disaster for France and much of Europe. Too many changes, too fast. I think the one and maybe only irrefutable lesson from the French Revolution is efforts to change a political or societal structure will be met with resistance. For China, I am left with this question. To what purpose did the destruction and the loss serve? I can argue that China has never fully recovered from the Cultural Revolution, and maybe never will. Indeed, when I search for the purposes of the Cultural Revolution, I am left without sensible answers. So then why did the Cultural Revolution happen? Before I answer, I have to say that the Cultural Revolution must be studied, appreciated, and understood for whatever it was or was not. So again, what lessons can be learned from the Cultural Revolution? Aside from shrugging my shoulder, 
the cultural revolution teaches us to pray that it never happens again. As for the ideologues, I observe a couple of things. Number one, they seem to be prevalent, influential, and only exist at the beginning and early phases of the revolutions. Their passion and obvious reason that they are influential. Number two, none of them seem to survive the movements or the changes they passionately sought or seek. I mean, most are dead before the movements they fostered are finished. That's all I have. I hope it has been interesting and you learned something. I have enjoyed sharing it. Thank you. And as always, it has been my pleasure. <laughs>